Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 17, Farewell, We Kiss, and They Are Gone. This week we're discussing season 2, episode 2 of Doctor Who, Tooth and Claw, and season 2, episode 4 of Buffy, Inca Mummy Girl. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, Inca Mummy Girl. Uh, <laughs> we were talking a little bit about this before we started, that uh, this one is a lot of fun, I think. Like, in some ways, it's very, um, has kind of a, a sad, down note ending. Um, yeah. And, and also, it, it, in some ways, it feels lighter than some of the other episodes, because I think we've been having a lot of this heavy mythology, you know, mm. with the end of the first season, the beginning of the second season, the introduction of Spike, like all these really important things. Yeah, and then yeah. this one <laughs> is a little, important. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then this one is a little bit more back to the monster of the week sort of format. Um, but, um, but this is maybe one of the funniest episodes that we've had. So, uh, hugely enjoyable, I think for that. Um, yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of little, I mean, every episode has its little bits of humor, but I think you're right. This one, it seemed to have more of them and just kind of... More of its fair share, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just kind of took that lighter idea of, you know, hey, what can we do with an ink and mummy and... Yeah, and it kind know, of, I mean... How can we pull her into Buffy's world and and let her, let her loose, kind of, yeah. Yeah, and I think um, until the end... I think it kind of goes with the relationship with Ampata and Xander and their kind of mm-hmm. their flirt, their romantic flirtation. And there's a lot of humor around that. So it kind of fits the tone of the episode, I think. Sure. But so we can maybe hit some of those funny points as we talk. But um, but we might as well talk about the Inca mummy girl herself, who okay. is Ampata. Um, it makes sense. Uh, yeah, so she's our monster of the week. Um, yeah, it's always funny to our think mummy of, of the week. Our mummy of the week. Uh, it's funny to sometimes think of, you know, attractive girls like her as the monster of the week, but uh, yeah. but that's what she is. Yeah. Um, I, I was just gonna say too, like, and not just not just that, but in in this particular instance, it's it's hard for me to think of Ampata as the monster. I mean, she definitely yeah. is in the, in, in sort of the strictest sense, but yeah. I, you know, she's not a monster in the say the same way as Xander's last romantic interest, Miss <laughs> French, you know, who was very, um, you know, we talked about the, the different ways that, that people can be predatory and Ampata is not predatory in that same way. No, no. And a lot of that, um, has to do with all of these, you know, parallels that are being drawn between her and Buffy, that she's really more of a victim herself. And, um, you know, and, like, her monstrous behavior isn't predatory in the sense of it's it's not for... It's more just for self-preservation. Mm-hmm. Um, and And for something that was forced on her. Um, so, 
Right, still, she's legitimately ex- wronged. Still like, inexcusable, but also you understand where she's coming from, and Buffy definitely understands. Yeah, it's empathetic um, in in the way that most of the monsters we've seen are not. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, so I mean, and even more so than Buffy. I mean, Buffy's life is definitely um, usurped by her role as the Slayer, but. But this person, it's not like, oh, your life is taken away from you in the sense that you're forced to live a way that isn't your choice or responsibilities that you didn't ask for or whatever. It's like, nope, they stuck her in a tomb and buried her alive and that's it. So she's even more of a victim than Buffy because she has no, her, she doesn't protect her people by fighting demons you know she protects her people by dying for them um well and there's a sense of the uselessness of of that because you know how much did that end up really doing we we at least know that buffy in her fighting and stuff is actually protecting people but yeah right for empata or whatever her name was before you know when she was alive right empata's not even really her name like we don't really even know her name um you know the the it's just this you know cult thing that I mean, I, I don't, you know, I don't know if I may, maybe in the world that is, you know, Buffy's universe, maybe there was actually some demon that was appeased by that or, or not. Well, we don't really an, know. There's That's interesting because I kind of liked the suggestion that she was the, ver- the, the Incan version of the Slayer, that this is the, you almost get the sense that it's the same fight that's being fought just by different means like it could maybe the demons were the old ones or maybe the demons were the vampires or maybe you know because we've been introduced to a world where monsters and demons are a reality and not to say that excuses burying people alive but you could see it feels like a very continuous you know like Mm. It yeah, feels like I, the same world think, to me. I and... don't think we're we're meant to think that Impata's death, her original death, was in any way like Buffy being the Slayer. Like obviously, there's. I'm the not, compar- and I'm not saying. Yeah. It had any actual usefulness, but okay. but you could see, but I could see it being like a response to the same things that Buffy's fighting. But uh, but, uh, I'm not, yeah. And not, and I mean, clearly you'd rather have the Slayer and the Slayer's doing more good, but, um, well, and, and, and I guess my point is just that we don't know, like, you know, like I was saying, like it, it could be that her actual sacrifice did, you know, appease some actual demon that was haunting them. And for a time, you know, it saved the people, so to speak. We don't, I mean, that's sort of the implication that we're given and, you know, whatever. Yeah, but, but I we, guess my it, point is not whether or not, and and I, yeah, my point wouldn't be that we know whether or not it did appease anybody, but just the idea that maybe these Incan people had experience of the same sorts of monsters that Buffy fights and their reaction was to sacrifice somebody to appease. Right. So it feels very of the same mythology and of the same, like it feels like Buffy's part of this long 
history of people trying to fight against the demons and the monsters. And, um, and I and I think that's right. And 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 all I'm saying is that we we don't know. Like there's nothing in in the episode or or in this that tells us that. Like I I, I get what you're saying that it's a nice thought. <laughs> yeah. Um. But it's we there's just no evidence one way or the other and i and i think that's okay because i think that's in fact i think that's good from from a this story perspective because i think that gives an ambiguity to Mahata's actions which you know again i think can highlight some of buffy's character to you know and we haven't actually gotten to you know the actual parallels beyond the fact that they're both kind of chosen for this role but we don't we don't even know the efficacy of Empata sacrifice. Like, right. We just don't know. And there's no way to know. And I think that's intended um, because it does give, you know, makes you wonder like she's the chosen one, just like Buffy's the chosen one, but was her being chosen? Was it useless or was it not? You know, is there, is there a way to tell it ultimately? Yeah. Um, so anyway, sorry, go ahead. I, I, feel like I kind of jumped in no, no, other points fine. that you were saying. No. So, I mean, I think that's just the beginning of all those, you know, connections that they're trying to make. So, um, I mean, so like I said, in some ways she is more of a victim than Buffy is, but, but I think we're also supposed to see, um, that there's a similarity. Um, and so, I don't know. So the one thing I thought was interesting was uh, Willow, um, when the tour guide is talking about, you know, they chose a beautiful teenage girl to become their princess. Um, and he's getting, this is the setup to tell them about the mummy. And Willow says, I hope it ends with, and she lived happily ever after. Right. And, and she, the way she says it, it's like, well, you're looking at the mummy, but even just, the end of that sentence, it's like, well, Willow knows that it doesn't end that way. We know that it doesn't end that way. Like this, you know, you know, being chosen by your people, if you're Incan is not a good sign. And so, um, you know, so yeah. I wonder what does that, um, what does that imply about Buffy? You know, are, is it the kind of thing that, you know, and I don't know, you know, how much to read into that or not, but I think it's supposed to raise this question of in these types of stories, you know, what happens to these sorts of characters? Like it feels kind of like a meta comment on the story, you know? So like, are we supposed to be with Willow saying, I hope this ends happily ever after while also suspecting, oh, it probably might not, you know, that, I don't know. I just think that's kind of a suggestive Yeah, line. no, I think that's a very, I mean, Buffy's already died once, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. We, we've already seen her die. So, I mean, um, it, there's a very real, you know, the, the bodyguard, when they're, when he confronts Ampata in the, um, in the bathroom there, you are the chosen one. You must die. You yeah. have no choice. Like yep. you're right. I think there is a very meta um, conversation going on there, and and applying that to Buffy, I don't think is at all improper. You know, and, and that and, and that sense of doom that like 
Yeah. This is what happens to chosen ones. And, and you know, like your your days are numbered. It's only a matter of time kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and again, this is, you know, you mentioned that the first few episodes have been pretty heavy. We just, the last episode was with Spike, who we know has killed two Slayers. Yeah. Right, you know, so I mean, death is definitely, it comes with the job of being chosen. It's, you know, you're chosen, but it's not like, you know, you've been chosen for a getaway vacation, all expenses paid. Yeah. You're being chosen ultimately to die because you know it's like the old the old sort of uh western you know frontier idea of a cowboy dying with his boots on right you know like buffy's gonna die in the line of duty the assumption is going to be like there's not an old retirement home for slayers yeah you you know what i mean so so i think you're right picking up on willow's comment you know and i hope it ends with and she lived happily ever after we're this isn't bilbo baggins right this we didn't think of a good ending for this tale (laughs) um because historically speaking there really hasn't been um so yeah and not to get into too much other stuff because that theme might get explored in future episodes you never know yeah um but anyway, so yeah, I, I think you're right. There's a lot of parallels there. And when, especially when Impot is talking about being chosen and people are talking to her about being a chosen one, I think it's completely fair game. And I think it's pretty explicit that we're supposed to be sort of inserting Buffy into that as well and, and, and yeah. comparing and contrasting. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially when she makes all the... Uh, remarks about what she just wants is the normal life and to be safe and to have you know go on dates and uh <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah. yeah i mean we've been hearing buffy say that weekly since From we started so one. yeah yep yeah. yep yeah. um and even yeah. in this episode you know she seems pretty um you know, she has her occasional, you know, temper tantrums. But for the most part, she's pretty comfortable and resigned to the fact. So even though she's kind of fighting against Giles about it, she's not fighting that hard. Like, really, you know, she'll kind of whine about her dance plans and stuff. But but really, she knows where yeah. her duty is. And she doesn't even really sulk about it that much, you know. Right. She looks a little... A little disappointed, but you know, she's not. <laughs> yeah. uh, she's taking it pretty in stride, I think. Yeah. Well, and and so thinking about the idea, so there's the idea of being chosen, but what are you chosen for? Well, it's you're chosen to be sacrificed, right? Yeah. And so you know, we get a few comments from Buffy about sacrifice, like, "Oh, I know, sacrifices, blah blah blah, bitty blah. I'm so stuffy. Give me a scone." <laughs> like, like she. She gets that there are sacrifices, but to her, it's at this point, I mean, you know, we're, we're well beyond where we were at the season finale from season one, where sacrifice literally meant you were going to die. Now she's looking at sacrifice like, oh, I don't get to go to a dance that I want to go to, you know, that I was hoping to go to. So it's, you know, again, it's, 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 it's interrupting of her daily life not 
taking her life <laughs> completely. Yeah. So it's, you know, you know, that sort of idea of sacrifice is a little more palatable, I think, <laughs> than, yeah, definitely. you know, um, what Ampada had to go through as far as, yeah. uh, you know, like you said, being buried alive. And Yeah, no, Ampada is going through more what Buffy went through in the finale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where sacrifice is ultimate. Um, yeah, and you get all the lines about, like, you know, Pata says, who knows what she, uh, she's talking about the princess who's herself, mm, although right. Buffy doesn't know that. She says, who knows what she had to give up to fulfill her duty to others. And Buffy says, who knows, but she knows, you know, like Buffy, right, right, right. if anybody understands that, it's Buffy. Right. Um, yeah, there's a good little bit of irony in, yeah. like, in, in both of them talking to each other, like on both yeah. sides of the coin. Yep. Um. Yep, and all the stuff of them hiding from each other, you know, like, the one is saying, you know, uh, don't look at my trunks, I'll unpack it. And then Buffy's saying, I can't go to the dance. Don't ask why, it's a club thing. Like, neither of them really wants to share with the other. And then just as Buffy's starting to pull out, like, the, the, the boy's underwear, that's when... And Pata opens the drawer with the stakes in it. So she's got a... So Buffy's distracted from her discovery right, by right, running right. over to <laughs> shut the drawer to keep her secret safe. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, no, a lot of good... A lot of good little parallels and, and you know, playing off each other there. Um, and, then, and then the other thing that was interesting was what Buffy's mom said. Um, poor Buffy. Mom's always saying the wrong thing. Uh, you know, she says two days. She already seems like she's fitting in, oh, and of course, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. Buffy's <laughs> never gonna fit in no. anywhere. No, she no, no. knows it. Um, so yeah, it's like thanks. Moms just know how to say just the right thing to make you feel that small, don't they? Absolutely. <laughs> without even without meaning to, without even knowing it. Um. Yeah, so a lot of that kind of irony and, um, I don't know, all that good characterization that it's, it's, um, it's kind of like what we were talking about last week with the Rose Cassandra thing, that you learn more about Rose by seeing her act like Cassandra. It's kind of like you learn more about Buffy by seeing somebody else, you know, go through the same thing and sort of talk about Buffy without realizing it, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. tells you more about the character. Yeah, absolutely. I just, one other thing on the whole chosen one slash sacrifice. I, I love the comment Buffy makes when she's like, just once I'd like to be the overlooked one. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like, and, and it's not even that she, it, it's funny cause she, you know, she does say just once, but you know, you get the sense like, she does kind of like being the chosen one when it's obviously when it's going well, not when yeah. it's, not going well but yeah there's there's no break to it it's you know it's constant there's you know it's that aspect of just the continual onslaught of you know week after week we get a new monster you know that she has to fight or you know repeated attempts by the same one um and and obviously there's the implication that you know there may be a few stakings in between the week that uh, we see her as well yeah um so yeah no i i think uh 
you know, but then again, that throws into contrast with Empata, who, okay, it was a one-time deal, but it was permanent. <laughs> like, you right. know, it, you know. Yeah. Or mostly permanent, semi-permanent anyway. Yeah. Um, so she... this is, so this is interesting. So, um, I didn't pick up on this on the first viewing, but the second time I noticed that line about them asking how she learned English. Um, yes. <laughs> so two things. The one thing she says, I listen much and Xander says, well, that's good. Cause I talk much. Um, which, yeah. you know, again, is her just saying, Oh, I'm a, I'm a, li- a good listener. I, listen and I taught myself whatever but really what she's saying is I've been listening from the tomb you know like right 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 she's been listening to museum right. she's goers. toured all of these yeah. different American cities and presumably has been aware of the fact yeah and I even wondered maybe I'm completely reading too much into it I even wondered if the fact that she said she's visited all these places means that has she ever woken up before um but maybe mm. not maybe I don't think so Maybe because the seal is intact. Okay. That um, makes sense. And she doesn't say she went. She says right. I was she taken says that I to. I was toured, right. I was taken to various cities. And yeah. I mean, the implication like obviously the way she says it, Xander and them, you know, they don't un- they, yeah, yeah. They they understand no. it to mean like yeah, like she was on some tour and was taken, you know, by a tour yeah. or whatever. No, Which, but okay. she's part of a traveling exhibit. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so clearly she's heard the conversation around her and, yeah. and been able to learn the language from all of that. Um, right. No, yeah, no, I think I think you're reading right into it exactly what is meant. Or, or at least we're both reading it wrongly if that's not, yeah. <laughs> not the case. Because yeah. I, I, I definitely... Um, that that seems to be the implication to me is is that she is at least was at least somewhat aware for the last however many years. I yeah, don't, I don't remember. I know, which is like even worse because she's dead, yeah. but not really. She's only mostly dead, maybe. Or yeah, she's know, mostly like, dead. Yeah, <laughs> in the Princess Bride sense. Yes, <laughs> mostly um, dead is slightly alive, and she right. can hear yeah the conversation going on. So then. I mean, that's that, you know, even, that even kind of absolves her even more because she's aware of her own. How much she's missing. Living hell and having <laughs> yeah. to listen to it yeah. every day for 500 years or whatever, right. you know. Right. Um, yeah. No, I think that's, that's a good, you know, uh, point to put on it because it's, it's that much horrifying and that much. It, it kind of makes you feel that much for her, you know, yeah. just, just to say like, Oh my gosh, like it's, yeah, it's not like, okay. It would suck if you felt, you know, several minutes of horrifying pain and then died. Like, I'm, yeah. you know, that would be really bad, but then to live like to, to go through that and be mummified and presumably, I don't know if she also could feel, I mean, if she could hear, why not have other senses too? Right. Like, I mean, yeah. you know, did she feel herself becoming mummified over the years? Did she, was she hungry? Was she, you know, thirsty, whatever. Like there's just so many other aspects to that. Like when you really start thinking about it, like yeah. how, how much, how is she not in, completely insane? You know, yeah. how is she as nice as she actually is, even despite the fact that she goes around killing people Yeah, and you know, like, yeah. <laughs> and it, and it's another 
kind of nice parallel to Buffy. Like it's almost like a metaphor for what Buffy goes through because again, it's like not only is Buffy the chosen one who has to give up all this stuff, but she's got to live and try to pretend to live a normal life on top of it. So not only is her life completely insane, but she's got to listen to other people and be around other people who are getting to live, you know, so, so she's, got that constant reminder of what she's missing out on. Um, yeah. So I, you know, it's, uh, it is kind of intriguing to me just, just thinking about that and thinking about how much, like, I mean, again, going back to sort of what I was saying at the beginning, that Empata just does not feel like a monster in the same way, but we do get, we do get at the end, you know, the big show off or showdown face off, um, you know, where Impata in the end is willing to kill Xander or whomever we find yeah. out um, and will continue to keep killing, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, to keep herself alive. So it's like. Oh man, no, you are a monster. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like because that's that's what makes you monstrous is that decision to not accept your fate, even though it's a sucky fate. And you're right; it should never have happened to you. It is. Yeah. At this point, you've you've gone beyond being a sympathetic character to being a cold blooded killer. And and yeah. that, and and like before that, we can sort of like. I don't know how sad we have to be that Rodney is her first victim. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Like he's kind of a jerk, although he treats Willow nicely, but you know, you get the sense. Well, yeah. uh, <laughs> Oh, you just don't like him because of that time he beat you up every day for five years. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's not the mark of a nice guy, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, we can, we can, under, but you know, who knows with Willow's influence, he may have been on his way to reformation and could have gone on to lead a productive and, and societally, you know, good life. But Yeah, well and the point of of all this is not that was he you know Oh right, that's where I was going he with this deserving the way. of any I sort of got sidetracked by how much I dislike Rodney. But <laughs> um Yeah, but like yeah, it doesn't matter how much of a moron or a jerk he was. Yeah. You know, that right. uh, the monster takes out anybody regardless and 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 and, yeah right what so what i was gonna say too was that like she she's gone from at that point and of course right in the beginning when the mummy wakes up we don't get the history of empata and kind of get her feelings but she does go from being the chosen one who was sacrificed to being the one doing the choosing and sacrificing other people for her own Mm, safety so she she you know she takes the place of the monsters who did this to her yeah. and becomes the monster, you know, herself, because up until that point, I mean, and again, I, I think like to your question before about, you know, touring the cities and stuff, I do think that this is the first time that she's woken up. So I don't think she's had a chance in the last, however many hundreds of years to be that monster. So that's kind of at that moment is where she becomes that. But it's not just that one moment of choice it's the continuation. So she goes from killing Rodney to killing. All right. The guy who's trying to kill her. Like, I mean, yeah. again, that's sort of understandable. Rodney eh, is not a likable guy. 
the bodyguard, okay, he's protecting everyone else, but in doing so, he's trying to kill Ampata. So, like, again, you can sort of understand, like, she's protecting herself in that instance. And even though you might think she deserves to just die, there's some give and take. There's some ambiguity there. Yeah. But then she goes from that to, well, uh, well, there's the innocent kid that she kills to become Ampata. The yeah. real Impata. Right. Um, so, so like, that's right. contrasting. So, it's, then it's a very specific identity theft, you know? Like, right, right. Yeah. Well, and and someone who has, like, I mean, we don't know anything about Impata. He might have been a real jerk or whatever. But like you said, that's not really the point. It's, you know, it's, again, it's her choosing. And then she goes to pulling. Okay, have we gotten the name of the kid who she pulls into the closet there? No, but is he the guy who wrote The Butler? Did you see that article? I did. Yes, it is. So he does have a name. I just don't remember if we've we've heard it yet. I don't think so. We'll see him again. Okay, so I won't won't say his name. Not that it's necessarily that big a deal. But um, he's one of those nobody (laughs) kids who, like, gets consistently, you know, chosen by the monsters to kind of... Right. We we have seen him in previous episodes. Oh, we have. I just oh my don't gosh, remember. I, notice him. I just don't remember if we've gotten his name yet, and I don't think we have. We we don't get don't his name so. until until a specific episode later. Okay. Um, right. So he's like red shirt character who always he, needs to be saved he, by Buffy and the, yeah, he's and like the all, named characters. Yeah. Yeah, not quite red shirt because he like because right, he doesn't he's die. Still alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, right. so so but yeah, we him. get him. Like, I mean, he's a nobody, but like, I mean, we don't know anything about him. Like, he's not. He's just like, oh, wow. well, and pretty there girl is... pulls me into a closet. Okay, like, yeah, <laughs> and it's like you don't want to say that. Well, the first death was okay, and the rest of them aren't. Like, that's right? No, no, no. Clearly and not. I, I wasn't. But no, no, I know that. But but even despite that, there is a sense of like escalation right. to it, and that's but, where I was getting to because. With that kid, whatever his name is, it's like, it's more of a, like, a seduction. Like, it's not just, oh, I'm about to mummify, I need to quick feed. It's that, like, she's kind of, you know, using her feminine charms to kind of pull him into the back. And then he's saying, aren't you a Xander? And she's like, does it look like I'm a Xander? Like, all this kind of... Like, that's, like, unnecessary. That's when it starts to feel even less like I'm killing him just because I have to to survive. But it's like a cat playing with the prey. You know, like, it feels more like whether or not she's enjoying it, I don't know. But it feels more calculated and more like she's seducing him and manipulating him and everything. Not just, like... uh a fit of passion in order to save her own life. Right. Yeah. So you, yeah. So, I mean, justified though she may be in feeling gypped, you also get the sense that her innocence, just from the fact of the killing, you know, it becomes easier each time for her to do that. And, you know, and she even seems to get more adept at it, you know. So it, it, the killing itself is like a corrupting, you know. So she may not have been a monster to start out, but as soon as you start killing people, you're going to turn into one. Yeah. Sorry, I 
I just realized I was wrong. This is actually the first time we see what um, the unnamed oh, character. Okay. So sorry, okay. I, I thought I we did see him once before, but my bad. I thought he was <laughs> in season one, a uh, season one episode, but this is his introduction. Yeah. Um. Ignore um, ignore all of that. <laughs> Forget I said anything. For um, anyone who doesn't know, apparently that kid wrote this new movie, The Butler, which is coming to a theater near you. So yeah, yeah. But, but apparently, we see big him shot again, screenwriter. So. Um. So, so yeah. So back to actual talking about the story, and we we've gone a half hour, and we haven't moved beyond Empata. So I know. Um, we may need to pick it up here a little bit, but, but yeah, the, the escalation was what I was going for. And I think you, I think you hit it. So I, I don't, I guess maybe I don't really need to expand on anything, um, as far as that goes, but definitely want to talk about her relationship with Xander because that, yeah. that's sort of what makes it more horrifying at the end. And where I was kind of going with the whole escalation thing is because we get to the end where she's, you know, willing to kill Xander, but this is after she's not quite fallen in love with him, but I mean, they're like on the fast track, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. They're, 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 no, she definitely, like you said, she's not like the praying mantis. She's not just using him. She actually does feel something for him. Right. Right. She's the thing that he's that, or he's the thing that she's trying to have, which is. And at the dance, that's, that's why she leaves him is so she can go, you know, Right. Freshen up or whatever, like whatever you want to call it so that she can be back with him and not kill him. And then of course she goes from that to being willing to kill. So it's, it's, you know, and it's frustrating because, you know, poor Xander, um, in a way, but also poor poor Impata. I mean, it's, you know, like for both of them, it's really kind of tragic. No, they're actually kind of cute. The Twinkie scene, you know, they are actually kind of cute together. The Twinkie scene is great. Oh, I love that. And, and I love that Xander is just like, I mean, Xander's always just Xander, but this is like more Xander than we usually get. You well, know what I mean? And like Xander's problems usually start when he tries not to be Xander. Right. You know, it's right. but it's when Xander tries to be the cool rock god, or tries to be Angel, or tries to be whatever. You know, that's <laughs> when he gets into trouble. When right, so when he is just himself. Yeah. Then, you know, yeah. then she thinks that's cute, you know, and right. it works for him. And good thing, because that's who he is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she even says, she says, you are strange. And he's like, girls always tell me that right before they run away. And she, yeah. she's like, no, I, I like it. And yeah, no, it's really good. It's, oh, it's unfortunate, though, because it's like, you know, again. And so, of course we have to bring up then the whole, his little speech about Willow because you kind of, it's like, Oh my gosh, Willow likes you for who you are too. Like, you know what I mean? Like this is, this is the thing that you're not seeing is that, Hey, you didn't need to go with some Inca mummy girl to find, you know, your true soulmate. It's like, she's here. She likes you. She's been your friend forever. She knows who you are and she still likes you. She's yeah. not running away. <laughs> like yeah. this is this is the thing um he he just doesn't get. Um and of course we get his little speech about I love Willow, she's my best friend. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh. That's poor, what Willow wants to hear. Poor Willow who yeah, overhears that and, and Yeah. I don't but know. She's, 
she's so humble, you know, she's just, and you know, so like, I mean, she is passive, I guess, but, and, and not getting over him, but also, you know, she's also the one saying, take her to the dance, you know, like she's. Yeah. Well, and it's almost, know, it's not quite a repeat, but it's sort of an echo of like when she turns Xander down for the prom. Right. Yeah. And, and says, you know, do you think I want to go with you when you're mooning over this other girl, you know, over Buffy at that point. But in yeah. this case, it's, it's a similar sort of thing. And, and you're right. I mean, and at, of course at this point, it's not even a matter of turning him down or anything. It's, it's the letting him go. And <laughs> yeah. I, I love when, when she's like, you know, I, I, I can make a choice. I can either, yeah. you know, just let him go or, or not. And Buffy's yeah. like, good for you. She's like, well, no, I haven't decided yet. Like, yeah. I, and that's Buffy and, or that's Willow's problem, you know, is yeah. she knows what the right choice is. She's just, oh, not, absolutely. she's but, just not strong enough yet to. And you know, there's a difference the between knowing something and, and being able to do it and feeling it, you know? Yeah. Um, obviously. I mean, that's, that's just the way it is, but Things are maybe looking up for Willow, though, potentially. Yeah, since uh, since Seth Green came to town. Yeah. Uh, Oz is his name. Uh-huh. Um, and, yes, we we get the... We, we get the nice little sort of preview of... I mean, not preview, it's a view of Oz. Um, and Devin, who is his bandmate there, who... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ask what what does a girl have to do to impress you? And <laughs> I love his response. Oz is like, I mean, we will see more of him. And he he, he just when he talks, he just has the greatest lines. Yeah. Um, he, and he, he says, "Well, it involves a feathered boa and a theme to a summer place." I can't discuss <laughs> it here. Uh, which a summer place is a book, and and then later a movie about people who fall in love and then later reconnect and have an affair and then like their kids fall in love. It's like this whole like weird, I've never right. read it, but like I've read the synopsis of it and I haven't right. seen the movie and, and it just like, it seems like, it sounds like a Nicholas Sparks it, kind of thing. It, it, like it's a, a very, it's, it's a very sort of Oz answer, but of course you don't yeah. know that because you haven't really seen Oz yet at this point. Right. So, it, but it's, yeah, it's sort of esoteric. It's, it's, you know, like you know there's Sarcastic, something really yeah, yeah. really deep and whatever about it but also kind of throwaway yeah yeah, yeah like yeah. at the same time um but yeah right no, like I he's mean, the only one on his uh, his friend's not going to get his references but he's going to make them anyway right um but then of course later we get to see what interests and or impresses oz and it's the girl at a cultural Eskimo, dressed up yeah. as an Eskimo to the yeah. point where you can barely see anything but her face. Um, well, you literally can't see anything. Yeah, but her no, face. that's all there is. Yeah, <laughs> um, you can't even see her shrugs apparently. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah. Again. Yeah. And, no, and and you get the idea that like it's just her weirdness that makes her like the fact that there's nobody else like her. You know. Yeah. yeah that yeah. that's what he's gonna go for. Well, and I love the the fact that in I mean, and of course, Oz, this is the first time he sees her and he goes up to her and she walks away, not even realizing he's there. Yeah. And it's 
it's just it's an echo of the obliviousness that Xander has towards yep. Willow. Like I yep. mean it's and he's just like Which again Who is that is, girl? Like, yeah. You know. Which again is Xander for for Buffy and then Buffy for it's this yeah. endless well, chain of and like, but at least like Buffy knows because Xander like out Well, she knows now. Like, she knows she now. didn't know before. But right, I think right. it's this theme of you know, what that one line from Xander about wanting the unattainable and mm-hmm. You know, everyone's sort of looking upward and not realizing the person behind them who's, you know, it's like this endless chain of unrequited or un, not even unrequited, just unnoticed, yeah. you know, feelings. Yep. yep. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's great. And so. a great band name. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 Dingo, Dingo's Ate My Baby. Dingo's Ate My Baby. Um, Which isn't strictly a Seinfeld reference, but I can't not right. see that yeah. as a Seinfeld reference. You know, anyone I mean? who has lived, you know, over the course of the last. If two you're decades, in 1997, yeah. you read that as a Seinfeld reference. I think. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, <laughs> absolutely. No, yeah, you're right. It's not specifically, um, but it is. Interestingly enough, the the of course Dingoes ate my baby Australia Oz. There's a connection. Okay. Um, yeah. There, yeah. There. You're right. I, I mean, you know, a humorous a loose connection. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Loose connection. But no, but that works. Yeah, that it, fits. It, you know. Anyway. Is um, Oz a nickname, or is it like short for something, or do we know that? Is that important? Um, it's not important. I they might say his full name. He does have a full name. Um, obvious. I mean, he has a full name, but it's, <laughs> uh, I. I, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head if if that ever even comes up in the episode or if it's just something that, or in the show, I mean, or if it's just something that is like, you know, he has a full name, but it's, I think, oh, it's his last name. It's Osborne, Osborne. is his last name. Got it. But I don't, I can't even remember him ever being referred to as anything other than Oz. Right. So yeah. I, just, I don't, I don't know curious. if that's. If they actually ever say his name in the show, so we can we can look. I mean, we'll keep it kind of on mind if 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 you yeah, happen to mention it at some point and say, yeah, oh, there they do. Okay, cool. Moving on. Um, but yeah, no, Oz is Oz is good. The introduction here is good. Um, and I would expect you know Seth Green, who doesn't love Seth Green, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is um. Yeah, one of his, one of his great roles here. <laughs> um, all right. So what what else from from the episode here did you want to cover? Because well, I know, yeah. So we kind of we kind of talked wanna, a lot about Empata and then yeah. like sort of skimmed through these other characters. Here. I want to mention Cordelia um, because yes. I meant to talk about her last week, and I think we overlooked it. Um, and so this has as much to do with the last episode as this one, but. So twice in a row now, we've seen, I think, a difference with Cordelia in that, so we've noticed her becoming more involved in the group than she was. Like, season one of Buffy, she was really more peripheral, like, you know, a, you know, a bystander to, you know, maybe she got, you know, um, incidentally sort of involved in the plot, but mostly pretty peripheral and for the comic relief or whatever. Towards the end of the season and then into the beginning of the next, she started to become more 
heavily involved, like targeted by the monsters and initiated into this inner circle of knowledge and everything. Mm-hmm. And now in these last two episodes, um, we've got her being a part of the group without any real excuse. Like, it's not like she was um, kidnapped by the vampires and forced to be part of the group. It's not like she was attacked. It's right. that she's just there. And it really stuck out to me last week because there's no setup for it and nobody comments on it. They're just, all of a sudden, they're sharpening stakes before the parent-teacher night and she's helping, like, Nobody invited her that we saw. She didn't give any excuse to explain why she was there. She's just there, you know? And it's, like, not even an issue. And all of a sudden, it's like, when did that happen? Mm -hmm. Um, And now, again, in this one, it's a little bit more casual. But, again, they're in the museum. And she isn't really with them. but, But if she's near them and wandering by, she'll make conversation Right. Kind of it's without, like, it's just she's a natural. She's willing to be seen in public talking to them. Yeah, like, and it's just a. would have never crossed her mind to do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's not just to, like, say mean things, but, like, she'll have casual conversation with them. Like, almost as if they're friends, you know? Like, and they kind of roll their eyes at her. But not, like, in a mean, oh, we hate Cordelia, we wish we'd go away. It's more like you have that friend who's just. Yeah. A trip and you all kind of, you yeah. know, look at each other and roll your eyes. She's just, oh, that's crazy Cordelia. She's just one of the group. Yeah. So it's well, just and, I mean, an, interesting, she does... an interesting difference for her character, she... I think. And, and you're, I mean, this week she doesn't have much of a role, but you're right. She does, you know, we do get, I mean, she's mean to Sven, <laughs> certainly. Yeah. No, um, not to and, say she's and... not being mean. <laughs> not she, She's still mean, but yeah, yeah, she yeah. doesn't talk to them only when she needs something or only to insult them. She will like, you know, help sharpen a steak or she will make a comment about, you know, Oh, I'm getting this kind of exchange student. What kind are you getting? Like actual conversation. Right. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think it's, um, it's interesting that it's not commented on at all. Like you said, and it's, it's, you know, I think, I guess if I were to sort of, and I don't, I don't know that this is necessarily what Joss or anyone else who was writing these episodes was thinking, but I think at this point we are supposed to sort of take that experience that happened in the last couple episodes of, of the first season and, and culminating in the last one where, you know, she's gone through this traumatic experience of, yeah. you know, fighting with, you know, against the master and, and, um, being and then because of that being kidnapped by the anointed one's minions and you know all of that stuff and so whether she wanted to or not she is inducted she's, she's part, part of the, of the group, group. Yeah. and and we've talked about you know the levels of awareness and 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 the fact that um they're you know she's she's there she's yeah. you know she knows i mean she's not you know she doesn't know what giles knows about you know yeah. You know, looking up ancient demons and figuring stuff out, but she knows that there's another world going on. Um, and she's not like, it, it's almost like, you know, <laughs> um, 
supernatural anonymous or something like it you know like this is her group where she can go and be safe and like yeah you know experience things that are outside the realm of the normal experience but like with everyone else she's still the same old cordelia she's you know still gonna treat new people badly and you know still kind of do whatever but no and um, you do get that sense that it's because yeah that's a group that she trusts you know that right she and she knows that you know and so yeah so it's it's gone from I mean, first it was she could trust them, so that means when she has a problem, she goes to them. But now it's she trusts them, so therefore she's comfortable with them. And doesn't or maybe... starting to become so, Starting yeah. to, yeah, yeah, making the first steps towards... So maybe and, now And like time, you said, actively helping them. Like, I think that's actively, yeah, actively it, helping. Because that's and not, not and, an aspect that we got about Cordelia's no, character. And, and not needing an excuse to come to them. Not needing a, I have a problem that needs fixed. But mm-hmm. sometimes she'll just be there, you know, and and no and the fact that they accept that and nobody's like it seems to me that early on they would have said and did say Cordelia, go why, away. Why are you here? Why are yeah, you here? It, go away. They don't do that now. She's yeah, even, kind of part of the group. Even Xander's attitude, right? Because like you know when he like had to interview her when um, yeah yeah i forget which episode it was exactly but you know someone was missing and they were like trying to figure out and yeah and he gets cordy detail yeah 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 he gets cordy detail but then you know the last episode they're in there cutting vegetables next to each other and there's not stealing vegetables next to each other ganging up against buffy together it's like your allies all of a sudden Yeah. Yeah, yeah so no i think that's uh yeah that's perceptive and i think you know i think it's right to sort of continue to look at how Cordelia interacts with the group and, and the dynamic um, that changes there. And I, so, and, and in amongst that, I guess, you know, another question that could come up is, you know, where, where are we with uh, our soul triptych? And, mm-hmm. and, and how does she fit into that? And, and it, yeah, how does she, and maybe she does, or maybe she doesn't, maybe, you know, she's still sort of an outsider because she's not like, like she's part of the group, but I don't know. Like now, it's like there's a core group and an extended group almost. Right. And you know, if and when other members may be like, and I would sort of put Angel with that extended group because he was there, yeah. you know, fighting the master too. But he's not, you know, Buffy, Xander, and Willow. <laughs> like you know, and, what I mean? and like, Giles too. And you Giles know, is is central, but also, yeah, there's something about that group of three, and I think that's why it works with the soul triptych thing. You know, yeah. and that's why you get so many iterations of it. Is that there's something significant about that group of three, um, yeah. and I think I mean now that group might be broken up, but I think that the breaking up is never going to be a good thing. It's the group of three as a unit. My guess is that that's always going to be yeah. the way and, it should be. And you I know. Would, and and I think it's certainly still intact at this point. Um, yeah. You know, I, I I just. I would say that might be something to watch as someone like Cordelia or if there are others in the future who, you know, come into more knowledge about (laughs) the group and what they're doing, you know, do they subsume roles? Do they, you know, uh, sort of pull some of those core characters away? Uh, You know, like what, you know, what are, what are sort of the impacts there? But I fear we will need to discuss that at a later point. 
Okay. Because we probably need to move on to Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, Do it. Tooth, tooth and claw. So, mm -hmm. werewolves. Mm -hmm. Werewolf. Only one. Werewolf. No. What? <laughs> um, Young Frankenstein. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Werewolf? Werewolf. Um, <laughs> the, the, all right, so I, I wanted to start talking a little bit about just sort of the setting. Um, again, you know, I mean, Doctor Who is more along the lines of Monster of the Week than whatever. Um, yeah. You know, but, so my first comment is, why do the evil monks always have to be bald? Like, that's just seems unfair to me, who, for those of you who have never seen me, I do shave my head. But um, I don't know. That just, it, it also seemed kind of strange for a bunch of Scottish monks to have a very um, Tibetan East, look, Eastern, yeah, shall yeah. we say, uh, look and fighting style. <laughs> like, I yep. just was not really expecting that. Um, and maybe that's why they did it, because nobody would have expected that, especially in, you know, late 19th century um, yeah yeah i don't know those yeah i and i honestly didn't expect an answer to that it just kind of felt like it needed to be commented upon sure um but so they're 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 bald athletic his wife's wife <laughs> thought you were happy <laughs> i i busted out laughing when he said that yeah um the that almost okay. that almost justifies the whole like that joke is yeah. worth having the bald monks just so you can have that joke. Um, but I agree, it doesn't. I don't know that it means it makes any sort of story sense. Yeah, well, it doesn't. But um, anyway, so the the setting, of course, is Scotland and eighteen seventy nine. Um, we get another instance, though, of the doctor and Rose arriving in the wrong place and the wrong time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, only this time, not by, you know, a year, not by 12 months, but by a hundred years. Yeah. Um, and, uh, or a few years as we got in the unquiet dead. Yeah. Um, and so I also did notice there's a parallel, another parallel to the unquiet dead mm -hmm. in the, when they arrive in 1879, or yeah, 1879, they um, arrive with a bump and yep. fall to the floor in sort of a laughing. Uh, I used the word postcoital in when we were talking about the relationship between the Doctor and Rose. Um, although this time, you know, we we see a little more explicitly that it's they're just banging around before they fall to the floor. Um, and, yeah, and, yeah, you and, see and, that they and, and and it's not he's like an actual, banging the mallet and yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah beating um, it into submission. Yeah. So, um, I I understand that you had a number of other parallels. Yeah, that. well, it's it's I'm glad you noticed that because <laughs> I wanted to talk about that. So, I think that the first three episodes of season two, and I'm calling this episode three. Uh, I'm including the Christmas invasion as sort of okay. the first three episodes with the 10th doctor, mm -hmm. um, I think are pretty explicitly paralleled to the first three episodes with the ninth doctor. Um, we talked about that last week with, I think probably the most explicit and easiest to spot, um, is, uh, 
the end of the world and New Earth because there are the returning characters and it's almost mm-hmm. a continuation of the story. But I think it's true of the others as well. Um, so I'll go through some of my points here. So Rose and the Christmas Invasion. It's set in present-day London. Um, mm-hmm. You get an alien invasion of Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, Rose meets the new Doctor. Uh, and and it features, you know, her home life, Mickey and Jackie, you know. Um, so kind of a similar, you know, different details, but similar circumstances. Okay. Again, in the second episodes, The End of the World and New Earth, it's five billion years in the future. Um, it's the same supporting characters in both times. You've got Cassandra and Face of Bo. Um, mm. And then even some of the thematic parallels um the lines about everything has its time everything dies you know it's very much a continuation of that story and those themes and then uh so now like you said uh we're you know in the third episode so the unquiet dead and tooth and claw you know both are trips to the past um so where we did the present and then we did the future now we're going to the past Mm -hmm. um and not just any past but victorian britain um so the same era um both times they don't end up where they meant to go Mm -hmm. um and you have the historical guest star you know we have dickens and now we've got queen victoria and both of them feature aliens which are paranormal you know that Mm -hmm. things that we think of as paranormal monsters rather than aliens so ghosts and the werewolf but again those turn out to just be aliens really um but they have all those elements of supernatural stories you know right right. kind of gothic supernatural yeah so i think no, that's you're right pretty, that's that's a pretty that a like pretty I didn't, detailed yeah you, you're right um definitely obviously we picked up on the parallels last week like you said mostly because of the returning characters or, or i did i mean i'm you clearly picked up more <laughs> um but but that's interesting so i guess my question would be there like in, in all of that um is it is it sort of a way to have people because i know like obviously with series one it was we were picking up with the ninth doctor and we hadn't seen doctor who in yeah 20 some years yeah, years? F- 15 years, Fif- oh, 20 okay, years. 15. Yeah, um, 15 years. Oh, 20. right, the 80s, right, was yeah. the last time we'd seen. So, I mean, it's just like however you start is how you start. Like, it's like we haven't seen a doctor in a while. It yeah. is whatever. But now you have to kind of get reacclimated to the fact because we haven't. And even at that point, it was just like a single one-off movie, right? The, when we saw the doctor Yeah, before. yeah, the 1996 one, yeah. Um. Oh, okay. It was in the nineties. So the, 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 um, like even at, I guess at that point, like, I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to figure out how to say it, like shifting from one doctor to the next, like it's been a long time, I guess, like since yeah. that has happened. Yeah. So, sure. like, yeah. so like when we see the ninth doctor and I think you said, I don't remember if you said this in the podcast or, or told me off off air or whatever, mm-hmm. but, um, that pretty much you always see the, the, um, regeneration from one doctor to the next. So yeah. you, you see that that happens on screen. Um, that, yeah, I, I think, 
I think Christopher Eccleston is the only exception to okay. that rule, other than the first Doctor, who so, was the first and didn't regenerate. You know, Christopher Eccleston's the only one who we haven't seen. We see him go, but we don't see him come. We don't get his introductory. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, regeneration. And, and there's there's the pictures from Clive, which show that he apparently was active a bit yeah. before. Yeah. Um, you know, before that episode, before the episode rose. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so like the long way of getting around to my question or, or sort of comment or whatever is, so is, is this, do you think just sort of a more subconscious way of, of reactivating this to say like, again, the, the reinforcing, this is the same guy. I That's know we, what I think. I, yeah. I, I know we got that more explicitly in the actual Christmas invasion episode, but like, is like, and I'll admit, like, I'm still, like, it's still taking me a little bit to be convinced. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I still, it's it doesn't come naturally to me to think of David Tennant as the doctor. As the doctor, right. Um, even though this is the third episode, you might think, oh, by this point, you should. Like, but but you pointing that out sort of makes me wonder, like, is that, like, putting him in similar, not the same, but similar, thematically similar um, setting and similar, you know, sort of characters and stuff like is that all a way to just sort of acclimate and and you said you think that is just now so i i, I that's guess. that would be my like if i was gonna try to like read russell davies mind that would be my guess would be the purpose is exactly that is to say um you know you're still gonna have an audience who you know and and they talk about this. This hap- This is just the the cycle of mm-hmm. the regeneration. Is there's that resistance that this is not who we're used to. <laughs> this is not my doctor. Yeah, I um, think I did. You post that on our Facebook page. I saw I saw a meme like that. The regeneration like cycle. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. like it's basically. <laughs> it, yeah, who's this new guy? He's I don't like him, and then he's okay, and then I love him. I hope he never leaves. Right. Who's this new guy? I don't like <laughs> right, him. You right. know, then, and it's then you endless... get the next one. Exactly. As soon as, as, soon as you yeah. love it, then yeah. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, I think that's exactly the purpose is to ease that transition, um, especially because we weren't with Christopher Eccleston for that long. Right. So it's like, man, we just got the guy and he's leaving. So it's like a jarring thing, mm-hmm. I think, um, and so we can come back to this maybe if we think of it because um, I haven't sat down and really tried to work this out for sure. But I, I think that this is the last time we're going to get that very, very close, neat episode to episode parallel. I think from this point, the season starts to become its own story and yeah. and the and episodes start to have less of that familiar okay we're hitting the same beats kind of feeling um and it goes in a different direction so you know we can if we if we notice that it is or isn't doing that you know we can mention it and come back to it um yeah sure but my but my sense from the times that i've watched these in the past is that okay that was a that was an arc for the first three episodes. And now we're going to start to cover some new ground. Mm-hmm. 
That's good. I think it's kind of an interesting way of doing it. I kind of like those, and even the little details, like you said, like, it's not even just the setting, it's like them falling around in the TARDIS laughing. Like those, right, like right. that is in the Unquiet Dead that that happens. Like the right. parallels are very specific. Mm. So just and, wanted to mention that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, I, th- I think you're right. It makes sense when you point it all out like that. So I, it seems like it would have to be <laughs> intentional, you know, like that way, but. Yeah, once you look at them all together, it's kind of inescapable, I think. Um, but werewolves, werewolves in Scotland. Yeah. And first of all, I love the attempts of an accent by yeah. the well, I mean the doctor does a decent job until he forgets to keep using it. Although, um, uh I should point out that that is David Tennant's natural accent. Oh, okay. I didn't so, know that. The doctor is his his accent, and yeah, so he's Scottish. Okay. So right. kind of just so a nice it excuse makes sense to give that him. He's good at, yeah, like yeah. we're not using this accent, but we'll give you an episode where you can use it. And then Rose is butchering. And then Rose, and he's, <laughs> and then he in, and that's what makes it even funnier is he in the doctor's natural accent, which is not his own, is saying no, don't do that. No. Yeah. No, 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 really. Don't even stop try. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, okay, so we're in Scotland, and they have to go to this uh, house because there's a train uh, tree on the train tracks. And right. So she's how- trying to get back. She's been on this trip to cut the stone to continue the work that Albert started on it, mm-hmm. and. It's a good and, thing she didn't get there, I guess. Or she's, I think she's coming back. Oh, okay. I think she's coming, because she's coming back to London, but there's a tree on the train track, so she's, so they're having to go by foot, which is why they stay over in this estate, and you, and it's all planned by the monks to get her there. So right, they they've can get manipulated the on her, her, yeah. her and route. Pre- and yeah. presumably put the tree on the train track. Right, right, that's the implication. Yeah. Um, and... Of course, the name of the house is Torchwood House. Yeah. Which we don't get till the end, but since it's our podcast, we can talk about that whenever we want. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> obviously, implications there. And yeah, so, um, she starts up, uh, at, well, at the end, she, the queen says uh, she's going to start a new institute. And so, and I was actually intrigued there because you get the, um, you get sort of the, uh, reiteration of um, Harriet, yeah, and 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 sort of the way the the Queen when she finds out that there's these uh, evil things going on about, you know, she it's sort of the same attitude and and so I you know again I'm like okay so this institute obviously the Torchwood. Is Torchwood like is this yeah. is this yeah is no this is the founding of this Torchwood. is the founding okay. yeah and, and the, with the purpose being protection against alien and supernatural threats but weirdly specifically against the Doctor yeah well that's where I was that's what I was that's what kind of like surprised me at the end yeah it was like that like it's 
they're founding this institute, and of course she exiles the doctor from yeah. Britain. Well, the which, whole you know from the entire empire, yeah. which you know has like which has bigger implications in eighteen seventy nine than yeah. you know, it does today. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's you know definitely an interesting interesting sort of twist there that that whole thing, and then of course. I'm thinking about, you know, in the Christmas invasion where we saw um, Torchwood being activated to uh, uh, destroy the fleeing aliens. Yeah. And, like, is this, like, just a really big version of the telescope that, you know, just took care of the werewolf guy? Like, I mean, uh-huh. I don't know. Is that... Um, is there any well, sense of that? I mean, I mean obviously... Yeah, I didn't moon. even... Obviously not with Moonlight, but is this, I was thinking more like this jewel, you know, is this a refinement thing that, you know, now shoots lasers into space through some ion cannon or something? Yeah, I didn't even really think of that, honestly. Um, I mean, I think Harriet just says that it's, whatever it was, was adapted from alien technology. So, um, Mm, I think, I think the idea is that, so Torchwood, as it was founded and in whatever form it's taken a hundred years later is the, is like this secret anti-alien that it's their job to defend Earth against aliens. And it's mm-hmm. kind of not aligned with any, even though it's set up by Queen Victoria, it's not really aligned with the government by the time we get to the present day, because Harriet's not really supposed to know about it, but right. she kind of does. So they're kind of on their own a little bit, but it's like, so I think the idea being that it's sort of a black so, ops. Kind yeah. Of. And, and to defend against alien tech, they will adapt alien. So if they find bits and pieces of things, right. they'll collect them and study them and use them to, and they're ready with the defense if they have to be. Um, so I think that's kind of the idea at this point. Um, but I do think it's interesting that it's it's the real threat isn't even really, or as Queen Victoria sees it, she lumps the doctor in with all the other monsters. Mm. It's like she throws the baby out with the bathwater, yeah. you know, like to her, it's all, um, all she says you consort with you know, demons and magic. <laughs> right. And we get, we get what we would expect from Queen Victoria yeah. by the end. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Rather which than is, the sort of is, under the understanding, you know. Yeah, and it's interesting because she doesn't kind of start out that she starts out with all this stuff about her her taste for scary stories and and yeah, why yeah. they're good for us and all these things. But then by the end, well, I think two things. I think she's freaked up, freaked out enough, and annoyed enough at doc at the doctor and Rose to lump them all in the same category. But then also, I wondered if it has something to do with the fact that she got bitten and they know that she got bitten. And so there's this get rid of them so that they don't expose her secret. You know, I don't know. That might be a stretch, but that kind of occurred to me this time. Like, why does why why all of a sudden the shift from tell us scary stories to no scary stories are bad, you know, all this you know, this way of life is blasphemous and evil and I'm, I won't have it in my empire. So, so are we meant to understand that she did get bitten? I think so. 
I mean, I mean, I don't know. Like they never le- address that. There's again. a level of ambiguity. It's ambiguous, there. yeah. But um, just it's possible. But yeah, I mean, there's the whole discussion about hemophilia and yeah, and and all of that afterwards too. That, yeah. But again, it's like, and, it, and you just like to think that the royal family are werewolves and don't tell anybody. Yeah, I mean, they sort of have a bit of fun <laughs> as yeah. they're walking into the TARDIS at the end, um, you know, with that whole line of thought. But I, you know, I guess I I wasn't sure if if we were meant to know one way or the other. So, and I don't, yeah, they never, they haven't ever addressed it since then. So okay. who so, can say really? Yeah. Um, so I it, mean, other it doesn't than her become own a big plot point. At this no, point. no. I just, and then other than her own, you know, I mean, and I guess you could just read that as she suddenly, um, doesn't trust the doctor, doesn't want anything to do with him. So when he says, let me take a look and she just says, no. So you could read that as, she doesn't want him to know that she got bit or you could, I guess you could read it as get away from me. You know, I, you know, thanks for helping, but get out, you know? Mm. Yeah. 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 I don't know. She's an intriguing one. Um, and you brought up like her, her whole talk about, you know, stories and fantasy and, and all of that. And I, I loved that little, sort of speech she gave um uh where is it here so you know where she's talking about what ghost stories actually mean and she says that's that's the charm of a ghost story isn't it not the scares and chills uh that's just for children but the hope that of some contact be, uh sorry a hope of some contact with the great beyond we all want some message from that place it's the creator's greatest mystery that we get no such consolation the dead stay silent and we must wait and yeah. Um, intriguing little like thesis there of yeah. of what ghost stories are and what um, you know fantasy I guess is as far as all of that um, and and <clears throat> I don't know like I I guess like again we were talking about with with Buffy and and the Inca mummy girl and how there was sort of the meta conversation going on there. Like, I feel like this is that same sort of thing. Like this yeah. is, it's not just obviously the queen giving her opinion, but it's kind of like, why do we have these stories, you know, about the doctor and these scary situations that he finds himself in Rose in. And it's, it is not necessarily like, I mean, queen Victoria is sort of putting it in, and you know, the terminology of, and, and the, the, explicitly Christian terminology of, of, you know, creation and mystery of death and all of that sort of thing. But mm-hmm. I mean, it is, it does seem to be sort of one of those subtextual things that continues to go on. And, and Dr. Who is just to talk about why are these things happening that seem to be weird and whatever. And like, you know, is there, is there really a sort of explanation, you know, not necessarily saying these are the explanations for the phenomena that happen, but you know, is there an explanation or is it more random and, and unexplainable? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that kind of goes, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about Tennyson's in memoriam, which Mm. is where the title tooth and claw comes from. Um, so, I mean, that fits with the werewolf, um, that fits with the Victorian setting. Um, but, and it was a particular favorite of Victoria's, um, especially after, Albert died, and she's very she's known for her the poem. You mean the poem? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and like you think of Victoria, and you think of 
the grieving Victoria. Like, she's defined by mm. her, you know... I mean, she ruled longer than any other British monarch. But you think of Victoria, and you think of elderly Victoria in mourning. You know, right, that, right. that She so... wasn't always old and no, a she, widow. Right. No, she her reign defines the Victorian period, which is like, you know... She reigned for like... 70 years or something like or 80 I don't know like a really long time and mm. but we think of her in that period of life um right, right. so I think it fits very well sort of thematically and just that idea that and not even just ghost stories but she says the taste for the supernatural and scary stories and fantasy and all these things that there's something about it that she gets the taste for it after or I don't know what about the historical Victoria, but Victoria in this episode the, says that right, she in gets the in the show she gets a taste for it after Albert's death. So what is it about this type of imaginative fiction that either wets or satisfies that craving for to think about, uh, you know, life and death and like the big questions, you know, mm. about you know, meaning and, you know, is there an afterlife and, you know, and, and what's the significance of the monsters and everything? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, it's cool that she says all that. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, and so it's sort of a shame when she goes back on it at the end because right. you feel like that's, she's onto something there. And, but, but whatever, when faced but with it, when faced with it, then she backs off, um, you know, and, and it's like, and it's, it's intriguing because I mean, clearly the doctor is not happy that there's a werewolf. He's like, we'll stop the werewolf. He'll fight him. He'll even kill him if he has to, but he also kind of loves it. And all his stuff about, uh, that's beautiful. Like that this is, you know, this is what he travels for and he's so thrilled, you know, and, and can see the evil, but he can also see the beauty in it. Um, Right. Right. Um, Well, yeah. And there's that moment where, where Rose is in the room. She's like, I'll tell you what though, werewolf. I know. know, How great is this? You know, like it's just so awesome that we're here to witness a werewolf, a yeah. real live actual werewolf. He's an alien, but you know, he's a werewolf. <laughs> yeah. No. And um, that's the same thing as he's listening patiently and politely to the story about the local wolves. But when he says it's the wolf that becomes a man, he goes, oh, a werewolf. This is yeah, ooh, like, like, a, like suddenly, a little kid. Like, oh, yeah. this is my favorite story ever. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, you know, I was kind of hoping you were going to say that. So yeah. I knew it. I called it. I called it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so they're treating this as as scary as it is. They're having a ball. Um mm-hmm. and I think it's that that offends Victoria. Um Yeah. Well, and she know, brings that, that up. And at the end it's you consort with stars and magic and you think it's fun. Um mm-hmm. and she tells them to reflect on how much longer they may survive this terrible life. Um so kind of a um, a little bit of a warning there. And I think it's different. It's different quality. Cause I feel like in this one, it's more like they are 
having fun. And mm. it's not so much the desensitization. I was wondering if there was a parallel to those episodes in, um, was it the, the first one with Harriet in Aliens of London, when Rose makes kind of a callous remark about, you know, the Slovene and wouldn't it be nice to slip out of your suit and lose weight or something. And, and Harriet kind of chastises her for, for being cold and mm. people are dying and you're making jokes, you know? Right. And so I wonder if this is, I mean, you, that's kind of Victoria's point is this is horrible and people are dying yeah. and you're having fun. Yeah. yeah. So there's, yeah. so there's one sense in which she has a point. Um, but then, but at the same time, this doesn't feel callous to me. This feels like they're still concerned about, they're still, they're still having compassion for the people that are in trouble and they're still willing to stand up against the monster. But, right. And they're the only ones who can. Exactly. I mean, yeah. Like, I mean, they're not right. They're not dallying. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know. but, but so, but I don't know why I, then I don't find their enjoyment of it as well it doesn't seem wrong to me it seems like they can do both sure. they can I, enjoy the adventure and also have respect and i have an idea on that and and i don't think it necessarily has to be you know too in-depth or whatever but i think part of it's just the in the moment recognition that what's going on is momentous like yeah. it's 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 not even you know, it's 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 the ability to have that presence of mind to say, not just, oh my gosh, we need to defeat this monster, but to say, wow, this is actually a unique circumstance that nobody yeah. else has the opportunity to find themselves in, and we're here, and yeah, yeah, we might die, and yes, other people have died, and that's sad or whatever, but oh my gosh, this like, of all the people who ever lived, how many have had this? opportunity that we have right yeah. now no and it's yes, that it's, living it's, life to the fullest and it's a horrifying their, yeah yeah it's a horrifying opportunity but it's it's that ability to yeah to to really you know be in the moment and just completely understand what's what's happening while it's happening yeah um, and i and i think that goes along with the scary stories because why do we tell scary stories they're scary but you you kind of like them you mm. kind of want to be scared. Um, yeah. Like I was watching some of the behind the scenes and they were interviewing um, kind of to go along with the episode. They were interviewing some of the writers about Doctor Who and scary stories and everything. And them all just talking about the fact that everyone and, and especially kids love to be scared. Like in, mm. in, a hel- in, the, in the controlled environment of a story, you know, not, you know in a traumatic real life way, but in your living room behind the sofa mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. to say it's scary is a recommendation that there's something about it that, um, I think it was C.S. Lewis talked about, he kind of drew a distinction between what he called horror versus terror mm. and horror being like a numbing deadening thing where your senses are sort of squashed, whereas terror is a healthy, It you become more alive. Yeah. You know, there's a type of fear which is healthy and in which you you are sensitized rather than desensitized. Right, um, right. 
Hmm. So I think that's kind of what they're getting at is like, it's scary and horrifying, but there's also something thrilling about it. Well, and it's interesting too. So like, you know, with the, with the queen Victoria, how she changes afterwards is kind of that, like, I think you're right. There's sort of that natural desire to be scared. And, and part of that I think is to just, you know, because you feel more alive sort of in the, in the moment of being scared. It's like, you know, uh, you you appreciate more what you have when you know you think about it being taken away kind of thing you know what Mm -hmm. i mean um i was i was also thinking just as you were talking about um that neil gaiman interview that um we posted Mm -hmm. to facebook He, he had an interview on q which is a canadian a cbc program and um he talks in there he talks about doctor who but just also sort of more generally talking about children and scary stories and and how um how there, there was something in particular where he said like you know uh, that he never really understood people who thought it was unhealthy to scare you know children like it, it is sort of a healthy thing it's like you know it's like how are viruses made well they're or, not, or how are um uh not viruses but inoculations made they're made yeah. from viruses you know it's like it almost in a way it's like scary stories are almost an inoculation from like real fear or real yeah. terror and yeah and kind of can give you that um extra little boost of life you know in a way yeah. like um anyway so i you know i don't want to take that analogy too far but uh no i think that's that's right on and i think that's why the episode is so much about the tension between the fear and also their enjoyment of it and mm-hmm. and Victoria as the one who she could have been heading in that she was heading in that direction until she started until she had the real world you yeah. know dreadful experience and then uh changed her mind yeah hmm. so i feel well, like we covered a lot of ground what else um what else did you want? Did you want to talk about anything else about the Doctor and Rose that didn't have to deal with those points? I mean, <laughs> there, there were a few funny things. So I love Rose's comment there in the beginning when they're still in the TARDIS. Um, you're a punk. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you are. When, when he's, he's like, yes, let's go to 1979. And you're, yeah. But then it, you're a punk with a bit of rockabilly thrown in. Like, uh-huh. oh, okay. <laughs> those are not two styles I would necessarily right consider together but that's interesting and it's Uh, that sense of she's still trying to figure him out you know like okay this is what you are like i'll put i'll i'll define you by what kind of music you might belong to you know she's still feeling her way a little bit which you know the only other music i think that we ever get from the doctor from the ninth doctor is the sort of big band jazz that right. he yeah, dances yeah, yeah. to yeah, or uh-huh. prefers to dance to. And when he rediscovers dancing. Right. Um, so yeah, no, I mean that like a few of those little things. Um, I love my thumb. I need my thumb. I'm very attached to my thumb. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, some, some, some fun little things like that, but um, the rudeness that's, yeah. that came up a, a couple little bit of, of a running too. theme. Yeah. So there's, yeah, it's interesting. Cause he, I do remember that coming up, previously and um 
<laughs> right, because it was he... it was Rudin, not Ginger, and then it was in the last episode too. Because Cassandra said when she was inside his head, she said, "I I get in there, and he simply refuses to do anything. He's so rude." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then so in this episode, we get the we get him asking Rose if he's being rude, and she mm-hmm. confirms that indeed he yeah. is. Um, but then also <laughs> we get the moment where she tells him you're being rude again. And he's like, good. That's what I was going for. Yeah. yeah. Like, I meant, I actually meant to be rude yeah. in that particular instance. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I guess we can take it at face value at this point that he's, um, a little bit snippier than perhaps the last doctor was. Although, yeah, I mean, the ninth doctor could, could, could be snippy. Yeah. He, he, he could give his, you know, good do, but the, this one seems to be a little, a little more biting, a little more acerbic uh, of tongue. So and to maybe, speak. and it, it, maybe you got. Tell me if you agree with this. That even when the ninth doctor, I feel like the ninth doctor only was rude when he meant to be rude. That like if mm. he had, he would tell you, you know, tell it like it is, right? Like not going to pull a punch. If, but it's always like I'll call you a stupid ape if you're going to act like one, kind of a thing. Whereas. This to me seems more, except for the one time when he says, good, I meant that one. Um, it's less intentional. It's more just. It's just part of who he is. Verbal diarrhea. And there's less of a, <laughs> there's less of a filter and it's yeah. just going to pop out. And he has to look at Rose and say, was, I'm not sure if that was rude. And I feel like that maybe that was or, rude. Right. Or rely on her to tell him. And yeah. And again, yeah, that he's, she's the human companion so he's gonna look to her for social graces and you tell me what's right um because he's not quite sure yeah yeah um so yeah i mean that you know as far as that goes like i don't want to make too much out of that but the 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 running rudeness there of him Mm -hmm. um you know so he's back to being the one to sort of figure out what's going on with regard to like, oh, it's a trap within a trap and all of this. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's it's funny kind of how they resolve these things. And I saw, um, uh, I think, a quote that, that, that you shared or something about, you know, it's fantasy logic basically being yeah. implemented in, in some of these episodes and stuff. But... Um, you know, I think the point there being, again, that, like, he's he, he's back sort of at the top of his game. Like, I mean, the last episode, you know, was too, like, insofar as, like, he kind of put all the mixture together. But, like, you know, he's he's back. He's the one saving people. He's he's mm-hmm. really, um, you know, he's really kind of at the top here, you know, being able to want to figure out and kind of put it, you know, and it's the taking the disparate pieces and putting them together in a sensible way to, yeah, you know, be the one to see things that sort of the normal people don't see because he has sort of additional information or additional ability that isn't readily available to all of the humans yeah. <laughs> that are around yeah. or, or people in general, not necessarily just yeah. humans. But. And you see a little bit of that um, in Rose this time too, that she says to the the uh werewolf before he's changed you're not from earth what planet are you from and right. there's oh, that yeah, like yeah, yeah. she's starting to get some of that 
like well, and I wanted to get to some race. of what she's learned. Okay, yeah. well we can. I, well, no, and, and, anything and I, else I, about anything else then about the doctor before? No, we... not not wholly. I mean, just the Sir Doctor of Tardis. Sir Doctor of Tardis. That was going to bring up that that was kind of funny. Um, um, no, no, no. I I, I do. I, I was going to say I wanted to get to Rose and let's go ahead and start talking about her because. Okay. Um, no, I think that's that's right. I mean, she's I mean, she's worlds away from where she was in the third episode of first season. So, yeah, you know, as far as parallels go, that's a difference. That's not a parallel. Right. <laughs> like this yeah. is this is her being, you know, more in tune. And we get. um, Yeah, we get the monster, the man who will later become the werewolf, his, you know, sort of creepy mm, intelligence like. Yeah, and then, I think he's really. I think he's scarier than he, the werewolf. He was yeah, pretty. He, he creeped me out. He was pretty creepy, um, and and of course his reference that oh, there's something of the wolf about mm-hmm. you. Um, of course, referring back to all the bad wolf stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, is that are we going to continue seeing that sort of thing? Maybe I don't know. Like I mean, we haven't gotten any explicit bad wolf references that I noticed, right? Um, um, and that not, one's sort of more of an yeah, oblique one. Like, that's not, not really. It's not. It's not <laughs> going to become part of the plot that she's still got the bad wolf, and she's she's not going to be like fighting against any impulses. I think. I think it's a more. I don't want to say it's throwaway, but I think it's just more the alien recognizing the alien. Like, there's whatever. Whatever force is inside him recognizes that that kind of force has been inside her. Um, And you get the contrast of like sun and moon that you've, she had that golden sort of light that you've burned like the sun. All I require is the moon. Like, I think it's more just that recognition of she recognizes that he's an alien and he, he does it right back, you know, like. There's something different, and there's something, and not only different about you, but something of the wolf about you. Right. Um, and it's kind of like, well, you've called her the bad wolf. Now we get an episode with a werewolf. How can you not make some sort of a wolf right, right. parallel and reference, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty pretty clear um, that, you, that you have to do that. <clears throat> yeah. um, it would be disappointing if they didn't. So, yeah. Uh, what was I going to say? Um, oh, so in in addition, you get her, like you said, she's sort of acting like the doctor. Like you get her ability to move people along to do yeah. things, right? Like you get her, like she's like, come on, let's, if we all work together, we can escape out of here, you know, before things really go, <laughs> go yeah. to pot. Um, and, and, and which is sort of, like the doctor takes care of a lot of stuff, but he also seems capable of getting other people to do things. Like that's part of his, it's not a straight, I will rescue you. It's, it's, I will teach you how to help yourself kind of thing, you know, or at least in the moment, help you figure out how to help yourself, you know, through this particular, um, crisis. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so, so we get, you know, we get Rose being, and, and not that this is necessarily the first time, but it's certainly, it seemed more so than other other times. Like it seems yeah, like there's an, an escalating yeah. an escalating factor there with her that that she yeah that she is being more proactive and and 
she's confronting the baddie, you know, mm-hmm. she like not just waiting till things are revealed, but she's actively saying, you know, what's going on here and then trying to figure out in her own way, you know, ways out, ways to get around it. Um, yeah. Or escape or, or whatever. And, and not just herself, but, uh, you know, the people who she kind of adopts and, and takes under her charge. Yeah. Um, and of course she becomes name Rose of the palace. Of the palace state. <laughs> um, the, well, and, and actually, sorry, going just back to the last point with the helping people, like it, it actually even starts when she finds Flora hiding mm-hmm. Yeah. And and like she's like, okay, well, no, we'll go. We'll find the doctor. We'll confront this thing. We'll, you know, be able yeah. to to do it. And then of course they get captured and thrown in into the cellar or whatever there. Um Yeah, no, it and, does seem like a like a little bit of a shift for her. Yeah, or I mean, at least in incremental. It's like one more notch in the gear, you know, like yeah. it's, you know, going uh She's improving and, and, and positively, I mean, I say improving in the best sense, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's, 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 uh, she's growing. Yeah. 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 She's definitely coming more into her own. Um, the running jokes about her being naked were kind of strange. I'm not sure yeah. I fully got that. I mean, I got that, you know, it's because she was sort of dressed more, um, or yeah. less less than <laughs> the, uh, the the people of the age, but I don't know. It seemed kind of strange. Um, yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think uh, I think I I think that's really all I had for for Rose. Was there anything else you wanted to bring up there? Uh, no, I think that covers everything I had. Um, I guess I would just say one one more thing talking about Queen Victoria. I love the fact that she had like a holdout pistol in her purse. It's, she's like a tough old lady, huh? Like, yeah, yeah she's ready. Um, yeah, I like hilarious. that too. And the correct form of address is your majesty. Yeah. Like very. No, and I really like Victoria. Like I'm, I'm disappointed that she does, she can't get over her, um, her yeah. resistance to it at the end because I like her so much. You know, like, you yeah. want her to be on their side and an ally and everything. Um, mm-hmm. Because I really, yeah, I think they get that kind of sharp old lady kind of thing. Very, like, the, you know, the writing and the acting and everything really, that's someone you can you could really, She she is queenly. She's very smart and self-assured and that's someone you could get behind and support you know Mm -hmm. someone to look up to regal in the best sense yeah 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 yeah. um but she does banish the doctor and and we can see about how much regard he takes for that particular command yeah well and especially considering i mean obviously they just came from a later point in britain so like yeah um uh, later in time, yeah. So the one has to wonder what the force of the ban is there. Like, how do how does one how does one a ban against a, a time, a time traveler? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't. That's the short answer. Is he's on the <laughs> honor system and he has no honor. He's just going to ignore it. Yeah, yeah. So eh, anyway, um, I think that's most of 
what I had to say. I'm just scrolling through my notes here. I didn't, I didn't really have a whole lot of other stuff. I mean, there was, you know, some additional sort of mythology around the werewolf and stuff with the spaceship and the shooting star and the monastery. And I kind of like the, the mention of what it would be if it became the empire of the wolf, that history would be devastated and you'd get accelerated. So you'd have, spaceships fueled by coal and steam and i thought steampunk like yeah if the werewolf takes over it would be steampunk yeah 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 i was like that's a nice they don't do that a whole lot in doctor who they they, i you don't get a whole lot of i mean some like kind of the design of the tardis whatever but like i can't really think of any mm, maybe there's a couple but they don't do steampunk like very often so it's Mm. nice to get kind of a little nod right. to it so, sort of like this is the alternate universe where yeah we exactly if, yeah if the, the victorians had had space travel right yeah no that's funny um but okay well uh unless there's anything else you wanted to bring up i think i'm good all right then we will talk to everyone next week thank you good night Thank you.